everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to Recovery is Possible. And I want to thank you for joining me. And you can reach me at my Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or my website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. And this show exists to educate the public about addiction and remove the stigma associated with addiction and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction, as well as their families. And today, folks, I want to introduce you to uh, a gentleman that I met out at the Loudon Serenity House. Uh, it was a function, and it was a, a fundraising function for a fantastic uh, organization that's helping people with uh, really just cost-efficient housing that are looking for uh, long-term sobriety solutions. And as we know, the, pe- the longer the people are in a facility where they are in a sober support network, the higher their chances are of getting into long-term sobriety. And uh, Melissa Hinton was on this show. She's the, the CEO of that organization. She was on this program a couple of months ago, and if you haven't had a chance to check that out, please do. And she tells you everything about the history of the organization, what they do, and ways that you can support. Now, when I was out there at this function, uh, Ken Harvey, who is a former NFL football player, was there, and he was the keynote speaker. And I really, really resonated with his story it's a phenomenal story. It's not necessarily a recovery story, but there are parallels about the struggle of coming up in life and feeling like you're not going to succeed, maybe even being told that you're not going to succeed. But when you put your head down and you work and you listen and you have mentors and you set that goal for yourself, that things, great things in your life are possible. And I think you're going to see where the parallels between recovery and Ken's life were, you know, really appropriate and why he was a really good pick for that particular function. And we're honored tonight to have him here on the show. And so uh, Ken played football, professional football in the uh, NFL as an outside linebacker. And originally he he played for the Phoenix Cardinals and then the Washington Redskins. And from 1988, and he did that to 1998, found out that he and I graduated college uh, the same year, but obviously his career <laughs> took a very different turn than mine. And then um, he also played before that at the University of California at Berkeley, and he's going to tell you about that. And then he was selected by the Cardinals in the first round, 12th overall pick uh, in 1988 in the NFL draft. And then he was a four-time Pro Bowl selection, and that uh, occurred 94 to 97 in his career. He appeared in 164 games and recorded 89 sacks. And yeah, wow, that's just uh, phenomenal. But you know what? Ken's done a lot of things after football and arguably some things that had an even greater impact on the community. And so with that, Ken, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, quite welcome. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, you, gave me you gave me a lot of praise and I look, I appreciate it. But, uh, you know, I think we all have stories and, and, and stories to tell. And sometimes we, we think our stories aren't valuable, but... Uh, it may be just what someone needs to hear. So don't don't ever be afraid to tell your story, uh, because you know someone needs someone needs to hear it, uh, and it could be the very thing that changes their life. So I'm just doing what God's given me the ability to do, and uh, thankful for that opportunity. Well, you know, I went through your bio, and it is an impressive bio. And what I re- what's most impressive to me is how humble you are about it. I mean, I met you at, at this function, this this brunch that, that we had, and you were <clears throat> as unassuming as could be. I mean, you were very, very humble about 
you know, yourself and your success. And, and these are things to be proud of. And they are things to be proud of. And what really touched me the most was, as you went through your story, this did not come easy. And I, and I know that being in the NFL doesn't come easy, period, for anybody. But your story really demonstrated the power of just sheer hard work and never giving up. And if you could, Ken, could you walk us through your story and, and how, how did you get from, you know, being a, a kid to ending up, you know, being drafted in the first round uh, by the Cardinals? Well, um, so so let me kind of jump back and, and say this. I, I was thinking about it, you know, as we were going to have this conversation. And, you know, I've been reading a, a lot of books about uh, habits, power of habits and, and, and thoughts and, and how does the brain work. And uh, addiction is nothing more than a habit that, that's gone out of control, right? And, and, and so we have a lot of habits in our life and some of them are automatic. Uh, that, that come without even thinking about it. And there are triggers to those habits. But we do things in our life. And that's how our brain kind of works. It's how, it's how to get from A to Z and what's the simplest way to do it. And you can create some good habits and you can create some bad habits. And some of those bad habits can become, you know, can become stronger and take over, as well as some of the good habits could be powerful and take over. And so in my life, um, you know, I was, uh, I played a little Pop Warner football and then played uh, some junior um, junior high school and then then went to play high school football. But then I got to a point where I was frustrated with uh, with school, with with, with uh, where I was going or the direction I was going. I think school was was easy for me, but it had also caught up to me because I was a, a avid TV watcher too much. So that was kind of my addiction TV. And and so, you know, I watch all the programs, watch all the channels. So I knew things, but I didn't have the study habits to back it up. And so you can know a lot. Uh, so when teachers ask questions, you know a lot. But when, when you have to come down to working and doing the problems and all that stuff, then you start falling short because you just know what you've seen, but not doing the work. And and, and it kind of caught up to me. And so I, you know, I got to a point where I was missing a lot of school um it school i guess wasn't exciting for me i was missing a whole bunch but i was also trying to play football and it got to a point of of you know making a decision either you're going to get straight f's you're going to get kicked out of school because of your grades or you're going to drop out of school and for me in my life at the time uh i was kind of like you know i need to drop out of school this was in high school my drop out of school, get my head right, and then go back. That was my intentions, my plan. But during that time of dropping out, you know, here you are, I was, I was working out, lifting weights kind of big, and, and so everyone's looking at you, and they're looking at you like you're a failure, you know, like you're a loser, like you're you're not smart. Um, and so you get depressed, and I got depressed, you know, really depressed. And, this, and your parents are on your back because you're in, you know, you drop out in school, and I'm just kind of like, you know, maybe this world is better without me. So, you know, I tried, you know, ended off, uh, didn't try, you know, I guess hard enough, which is good, but it uh, it didn't happen. But during that time of that depression, I'm on my knees and I'm praying to God. And I'm like, God, just, you know, just give me a reason. Just tell me, you know, I'm supposed to, what am I doing? You know, and, and the fellow God said to me, you have a purpose and a destiny. And sometimes it's all you need is to hear 
that you're supposed to be doing something, that you are great. Sometimes that voice has to be greater than the doubt that's in your mind because, uh, you know, the world is full of negative thoughts and negative uh, vibes and people try to medicate it by drinking, medicated by pills, medicated by other things to mask the pain or something, the emptiness is inside of them. And sometimes you just need a voice to at least point you in the right direction. And so for me, I, uh, you know, I was like, once I felt like I felt I felt like I heard God saying you were supposed to be doing something, then kind of created a plan and say, okay, well, you know, here's here, here's a plan. You got to, the only way you're going to get to college to prove to everybody that you're not dumb is you got to humble yourself. And you know, if I'm doing this and trying to teach somebody, the first thing is you got to humble yourself uh, and, and go back and maybe pick up on, on some of the things that you, that were hard. And for me to humble myself was to go back to school. And, and, and face what I was dealing with. And I'm sure as in, in addiction and treatment, you know, the first step is you gotta humble yourself. You gotta ask for help and you gotta face some things in your life. And it's not always easy. It's it's a tough road and it's not something that you, you know you you should do or can do by yourself, but you're the participant. You have to do it. And so I had to go back to school, face that. Um, you know, here I am, this big guy, because I've been working out. So I'm 6'2", 225 pounds, benching around 400 pounds. But I'm in the same classroom as my younger brother. And everyone's looking at you like, what's this big old joker doing, you know, in school? But I'm there. I finish up. Um, I, give, I, I graduate. I don't walk through. I'm, I missed six months of school, so I was kind of in between. And now I'm, 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 I'm walking around telling everybody that I'm going to go to college. And everyone's looking at me like, huh, where are you going to go to college? Your grades weren't good. Your parents don't have any money. You didn't play your senior year high school football. How are you going to get to college? It makes no sense. And a lot of times in recovery and life, some things don't make sense. But when you're focused on a goal, when you're focused on a vision, when you say, this is what I'm supposed to be, even if you don't know what the end result is, then you keep moving towards it. So you have to start speaking things out loud, speaking into existence. So I kept telling everybody, I'm going to college, I'm going to college. And I met a guy in the gym and I'm telling him I'm going to college. And he's like, well, you know what? I happen to know a junior college out in California. And this junior college is, uh, they're looking for guys. That, you know, this, this, you'll be the first two guys to go, but they're looking for guys that come from out of state. And so, um, well, you know, the, the next lesson, right? Speak things into existence. You know, you got to speak your recovery into existence. You got to speak your life into existence and you got to speak it out loud. And so your mind picks up on what you're saying. You can't just say it to yourself. You have to say it out loud because if you say it to yourself, it's just your mind. If you say it out loud, then your ears have to hear it. Your mouth has to move. There's so many other components coming back at you that is now not just one thing, but it's several things. And your mind starts picking up on it, and then your mind starts believing it, and you start seeing things a little bit clearer. Go to go to go to this uh, junior college in Oakland, California. Uh, my next lesson, I guess, is sometimes you have to get away from the very thing that's around you and change your environment. I I knew I had to leave Texas because if I stayed there, it was too easy to quit, too easy to fail, too easy to fall back in the same trap. And so I knew going away, it would be harder to say I fell and have to go back and take that long journey to come back home. So for me, going away was the best route. Went to a junior college, played there for two years, um, got a got a scholarship to the University of California, Berkeley. 
you know, dropped out in high school. He went to one of the best schools in the country and then ended up getting drafted 12th pick in the first round. And football wasn't really my goal. Football wasn't my goal. It was a means to the end. It was a, it was a way to get to college to prove to everybody that I wasn't dumb. But like it says in the Bible, you know, when you do something, uh, you know, you don't know what gift is going to come from, from, from actively doing something. You got to, you got to, you got to move into it and you don't know which direction it's going to take you, but then moving into it is the part that, 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 you know, people want to see. And so, you know, I got 11 years in NFL off of something that I hadn't even planned on trying to do. And so that was, that was kind of my life. But the second thing in, in that is that, you also have to be aware that you have to continue to grow. You have to continue to have a vision for something else. You have to continue digging to find what is it in yourself, because a lot of times what you think may be the answer, it may be a bonus, but it can also just be a cover. You know, the bigger thing is what is that internal thing that 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 you're trying to work on? It may be self-esteem. It may be self-control. It may be, you know, whatever. For me, uh, it, it was self-esteem. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to be humble. It's another thing to not believe that you're good enough or not believe in yourself. And both of them are similar, like brothers. They're similar, but they're opposites. You know, one one is that I know that I'm great, but I choose not to brag on that. That's being humble. I choose not to do that. One is I'm great, but I don't even realize how great I am. And I'm, I don't want to believe that I have any power or could do anything. And so you're, you become across as humble. But in reality, you still, you know, your gift took you someplace, but you still don't believe that you belong there. And so those are two areas uh, of, of things that I've had to work on personally. So I'm trying to, you know, not trying to. I'm, I'm relating it back to addiction because, I, you know, addiction, like I say, it's a, it's a habit. It's what what you what you choose to what you choose to focus on that can become a part of your life so that you do it without even thinking about it that's a person who's working out trying to make it to the pros trying to play football that you're doing it so much so that it becomes a part of your life and who you are same thing with a person who's drinking to cover up or doing drugs or whatever you're doing it so much that at first it's like it's just hanging out with your friends. You're having a good time. The second thing is you, you, you start looking for a reason to do it. The third thing is that now you do it without even thinking about it and it becomes a part of your life. And then finally, you do it without even wanting to do it and, and you can't find a way to stop. That's, you know, that's this, the reverse side of, of someone who's working towards something. It's just the reverse. And I like to think, you know, there's everything is kind of a, uh, yin and yang, right? Opposites of uh, one's good, one's bad, but everything's kind of a yin and yang. And so that's, you know, I'll give you a chance to talk, but that's kind of my story in a nutshell. No, those are, those are really, really good points. And, you know, really what it comes down to with addiction and you're right is it starts, it's progressive. It's a, it's a progressive and deadly disease. And, Eventually, you, you get to the point where you're not even thinking about it, and then it takes over your life, and then it gets to the point where you can't stop even when you want to stop, and that's the, that's the scary part, and that is when you need help and assistance, and I think that in your story, you know, like in recovery, we talk about addiction is isolation, <clears throat> recovery is community, 
Um, we become addicted by ourselves, and then, but we get well by being around other people. There aren't many people that I know of that get well by themselves. And like, even in your own story, it sounds like there were there were people that came in your life. You know, God, if you will, put people in your life because I don't. I personally don't believe things that happen by accident. You and I meeting was not an accident, and there were people along the way that began to encourage you, weren't there? There were people that, because you were talking about how you you were going to the gym and you were working out and you were doing things. Um, maybe if you could share a little bit about, you know, you had in your mind that you wanted to do something, you wanted to be something, and you got on your knees and you prayed. But were there not people that started coming in and, and encouraging you? And like you talked about the guy that told you about this community college in, in California, but were there other people that came in your life that said, you know what, there's a different purpose for you. There are, you can do this. Because you were in a point, it sounds like, where there was not a lot of reason on your part to believe that you could be successful. So, so I mean, that's a good point. Uh, you know, part of it is like, you, 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 people will, people, well, my son put it best. <laughs> he said, people, people will put more effort into helping somebody they see outside of their car, pushing it, trying to get it, you know, the car broke down and they're trying to push their cars. People would tend to stop rather than you sitting in your car with just a flag hanging out because. That's an interesting point. Emotion, I've never right? heard that. It's a good analogy. <laughs> my son, yeah, my son is brilliant, right? And so, and so it's like when you're doing something, people will, people will help. People want to help. There's a lot of good people who are, who just want to help. And so I had, I had, um, I had in the gym, you know, guys saying, man, you're too, you know, you got too much talent to be just sitting here wasting your life. Older guys, you know, talking to me, you gotta, you, you know, you could do so much more than this. I had, uh, uh, people that it may have seemed like a negative conversation, you know, a janitor who's telling me about all the things that he could have been, but I'm like, man, then why weren't you those things? And, and why aren't you, why are you doing what you're doing? That there's nothing wrong with it, but if that's not what you want to be, then why aren't you doing it? And I was like, I don't want to be the person saying I could have been. There were, you know, uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend in college, was always pushing me and, and saying, you know, you're good. You can be great. And so it's, you never get it, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to get dependent on affirmation, but you also, it's good to get it. So that it's kind of like a boost. It's like a extra push. And I, I do this thing called life lessons from the gym. And it's just a quick, you know, 30 second, 45 second bite of things you do in the gym, you know, life lessons from the gym that pertain to life. And so to me, that's kind of like when you're lifting weights, you got 400 pounds up and, and you're struggling and you don't know if you can get it. Sometimes all it takes is someone to come behind you and tap it just a little bit. And say, come on, man, you can do this and push it just a little bit. And that little bit of help will push you over the edge. And that's kind of life. That's when people talk to you and, and say, hey, man, you can do this. Or they, they, they push you, give that little extra push. That, that 500 pounds or 400 pounds don't seem as heavy. Or you get, get it up and all of a sudden you realize, I can do this. And you start getting stronger and stronger because struggle sometimes make you better and and but you also need that little extra help that's how you get stronger so yeah that's my that's my sports analogy that's a no that's a great that's a great analogy and oh boy i'll, I'll be using that down the road that's a good one that i'd never heard before and that goes along with the idea that we don't get 
into recovery by ourselves. We need other people to give us that encouragement. And in that purpose, and I think what happens is, you know, a lot of us are moving along in life and you have your dreams and you have your hopes. I mean, after all, nobody, when they were a kid, said, hey, you know what? You know, Ken, you know what I want to do when I get older? I want to be, I want to be a drug addict or an alcoholic. I don't think any kid has that that conversation with anybody, but but it happens, and then people find themselves in that that place where drugs and alcohol have taken over their life, and you get to that point and where you're lost. And what addiction takes away the talent that that people have, and I can tell you from experience in having gone through detox and having gone through a treatment center, um, can some of the most uh, intelligent, funny, smart people I have ever, and talented people I've ever met, I've met in treatment centers. Unbelievably talented, talented people in all kind. Whether it's you know knowledge of history, music. There's a lot of musically talented people, artistic people, things like athletic people, right? And that's what they did for a long time until their addiction took over, and then addiction took all of that away. But the thing is, when we get into recovery, then we can tap back into those things. And you just made a point here a little while ago where you said, you know, you're talking to someone and there's nothing wrong with any career. All these jobs are important. Everybody, the janitor in the in the gym or, you know, the you know, whatever people are doing, those are all very, very important things. No, nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But and it doesn't have to be those jobs. It can be any job. Maybe you're in an office job somewhere and you're saying, you know what, I, I wanted to be this over here instead. Well, you know what? Then the question is: Then why aren't you working towards that? Why, why, why are you settling for not achieving the dreams that you had? At least trying to move in that direction, and and having that goal. And I think that that's a, a, a great recovery lesson as well. Is I know in my own life is I realized that by the time I got to treatment, I had lost. I had see Ken. Here's the thing in my life, and you were maybe the same way. I went into the military, right? And I, you know, I wanted to, I went to flight school, had to complete flight school. Then I had to become, you know, a a co-pilot. Then I had to become an aircraft commander. Then I had to become a functional check pilot. Then I had to do this. And then we trained to go off to, you know, Desert Storm. And then I became a police officer and all the associated things with that. Then I became an FBI agent and all the different associated things that you do in your career with that. And then it reached a certain point in my career where like my goals ended. And that's, that's where the drinking, you know, took over. And then even when I wanted to have goals, I couldn't achieve those goals because I was being hamstrung by uh, alcohol. And that's when I realized my life, I I stopped growing as a person. I I just stopped growing. And then when I got into recovery, it's amazing. You know what? I'm going to grow some more. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get another degree. I'm going to make a career shift and and start those goals over. But that's, uh, that helped me. I think, you know, what helps me today stay on that sober track is Ken, I just have too much to do. I have all these goals yeah. I want to achieve now. You have you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's you know, it's it's said new goals. Like when when you have empty time, empty space, you don't and you don't have something to think about, then your mind wanders, and there's so many ops, things out there that can pull you towards it. You know, negative things, uh, or just out, you know, out of time. Like I said, out of out of mind. It's a devil's workshop. There's so many things out there that can pull you away from whatever that goal is. Or even if you make a goal and you achieve the goal, but then you stop at that, then, you know, your life 
goes on, but you're not focusing on anything. So time, you want to, there's so much, we only have so much time, but then it's focusing on what you want to do with that time. You know, I, I can go back and look at my life and look at, look at dates and say, man, 20 years went by and, and what did I do with that time? And and you can say, man, I spent most of it watching TV or sitting on the couch or doing whatever. Or you can look back and say, OK, you know what? That, you know, I, I, I learned a new language or I did all this and that. And it seems so far away when you first start. But the key is to start. And, and, and it's the hardest thing to start. Another another life lesson from the gym that I've used was is that, you know, the hardest thing is taking a step sometimes into the gym. Uh, you can stand outside, you can look at people working out, you can laugh at people working out, you can point the finger, you can say, I'm going to do this, I'm waiting for New Year's, I'm doing all that stuff. But and you can be afraid and not let anybody know you're afraid. But the hardest thing is stepping in the gym, it's making that first step, you know, and, and, and actually going in and saying, I need some help. You know, I want to work out. I'm going to try to lose this and that. That's the hard thing. But once you do it and you start doing it more and more, it becomes a habit. So just like you said in your life, now everything's a habit because just the habit is now looking for new adventures. The habit is doing so many other things to fill that empty void. And 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 what what drugs, what you know, life can do, it's like a it puts a cap on everything. It it it, it surrounds all the possibilities and say, ah, nah, you don't need that. Just 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 focus on me. I'm your new master. And it, and it shrinks everything else around you. And like I said, there's so many talented people. There's so many great people in the world that are being smothered by addiction, uh, by something that, that's pulling them back. When we talk, uh, you know, I've had my share of addictions and, and an addictive habit. My habit is, has been watching TV. That has been my whole life. And the way technology is now is, you know, we're becoming a t- attention deficit society because there's so many things now that, that are geared towards the ground, grab your attention. People are getting paid big money to figure out how to keep you addicted to your phone, addicted to your computer, addicted to games, addicted to, you know, 20 second bites. Your people are making money to figure out how can I bring that person back over and over again. And so, you know, you, we could talk about drinking, we could talk about drugs, we could talk about all that, but but just some, something that's common, there's addiction there. And 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 some of it leads to other, because a lot of times it's just filling the void. It's filling the void of time, it's filling the void of focus, it's filling the void of uh, feeling like you have a purpose or a destiny or doing something. And if you can change that to where you are doing something, and, uh, and and like I said, I guess in my speech, never underestimate the value of what you do. Yeah, you know, something small could be something great. You, you just don't underestimate what you're doing because it it may be small to you, but it may be great to someone else. Um, you know, I'll say real quick and, you know, just something like as simple as for me, giving somebody an autograph. You know, you give somebody an autograph and it's just, you know, it's your name. You write it on a piece of paper, no big deal. But then you'll hear somebody say, you know what, I gave this your autograph to my dad. And before he died, he, he would hold on to the autograph. And that was the last thing he saw before he passed away. And he had a smile on his face because you autographed the card. And I'm sitting there like, wow, I just I just signed the card. I didn't think anything of it or something that you said to somebody. And they say, you know what, when my 
kid heard your speech, you know, I don't know what you said, but he turned it around. And he started going to school and doing his work. And you're like, man, I was just talking. I, I say this speech 10, 15, 20 times. You know, this is just a speech. So you don't know the power of what you have and don't underestimate or undervalue it. And I think that's what a lot of times is with um, addiction is is, is self-worth, self-esteem. People are beat down by whatever and and locked into, you know, locked into I'm not good enough or I can't do it or, or I'm not, you know, I don't have it. And they're trying to fill it with something. And And, and alcohol is a easy way to mask a lot of what you're trying to do you know it can mask it can mask confidence it can mask feeling free and having fun it can mask a lot of stuff and it's alcohol it could be drugs it could be anything um you know there's so many ways we can use something negative to fill a void whereas you know you know you've learned and i've learned it's not so much filling it with the negative, it's filling it with the positive, but that takes time and that's, that's creating new habits in your life. New, new cues, new systems, you know, there's, there's a cue. The way, the way, or I guess the way the mind works is that there's going to be a cue. Something's going, you know, something starts happening, which is kind of the cue. It could be boredom. It could be tired. It could be whatever. That cue says, you know, you need something. And so now all of a sudden, you're bored, so you say, I'm going to pick up my phone. And then you start looking at something. So now you got flashy lights, you got like that. So now that's an action. And then something says, oh, you win this. And so you come back. And this, and then there's the randomness of, of doing it over and over again and maybe winning something else or getting something different. And all of a sudden it becomes a habit and your brain just picks it up. So now anytime you're bored, the automatic cue says, you're bored, go to the game. You know, you're bored, you don't even have to think about it. It's automatically there. And you're bored, drink. You're bored, do this. You, you you feel afraid, have a drink. You feel afraid, do some drugs. You know, you feel scared, do this and that. And then your brain starts just picking it up automatically until, like you said, you have no control over it. It's now it's it's like you don't even have to wait for the cue. You're already there because now this is just a part of your life. It's as easy as it is to blink, that's a part of your life. And we just have to change that into um into into positives um and 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 figure out what's the root cause of you know a lot of a lot of the issues you know, what, what what is the root cause um it, it, it could be it, it could be tearing down some old walls and then rebuilding it back up with some new stronger walls and and i'm not an expert i'm not a you know i'm not a counselor but like I said, I, I think for me in my life right now, God has, has allowed me to go through a lot of things so that I can, in turn, maybe pre- present a way to help somebody or do something for somebody. And if speaking is part of it, then yeah, I'm there. Yeah, and you certainly did that. That's why you know your your speech that day, talking about the Loudon Serenity House, really had an impact on me. And when you're talking about building habits, and that's one of the purposes of an organization like the Loudon Serenity House is to get people into a home like that, which goes beyond treatment. You know, your typical treatment stay is 28 days. Some are longer, but but the standard is 28 days. And that's just frankly not enough. And so you get people into these homes that they're, they're surrounded by people that are working on recovery. They have that support network. They're developing that new habit, uh, oftentimes up to about a year, so they can get back on their feet feet and do it because like you mentioned every single person that that we meet every day 
has a talent, uh, has something in their life that they're better at than we're than we are, right? Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. said that once. He said, "You know, uh, every person I meet in some way is better than me. It, it's something." And I'm paraphrasing that there, but basically, you know, it, you know, in some way, each person I meet is it has a greater talent than me. And the problem with that is that when we drink and we drug or get into the process addictions, whether it's gambling, sex, gaming, uh, television, you know, that that would be a form of you know very similar to uh, uh, gambling and things like that. Um. When we do that, we are then not utilizing the talents that God gave us and the purpose of which is to go out and help other people because that's really what it comes down to. And it sounds like where you've moved into your life, whereas, uh, and I, I don't mean to speak for you, but it sounds like you you feel that your responsibility now at this point in your life is to give back to others and encourage them to get better and realize whatever their talent is, figure out what that is and then develop that talent so it can help other people. Well, so, so for me in my life right now, and this is the story I kind of tell is like my, my life had been like Moses, you know, story of Moses where he was the Prince of Egypt. And that was kind of my, me playing football. And then, uh, you know, Moses killed some people, killed someone and he ran away in the desert and he was in the desert for a long time. And then he had a burning bush moment. That desert for a long time was my life after football. I, mean, I wasn't the Prince of Egypt. I wasn't a football player anymore, and, but didn't know what I was wanted to do and kind of selling for just being a shepherd, just kind of being, uh, you know, somebody that no one knew who you were. And, and that was okay. But then he had that burning bush moment where God told him, you know, what's in your hands? And, and, and Moses said, you know, I have the staff. And God said, throw it down. And it became a snake. And Moses ran away from it. He said, go back and pick it up. And in my life, God is like, well, Ken, you know, what's in your hands? And I was like, you know, I write books and I speak and I do all that stuff. And it's like, well, go back and pick it up. Don't, don't run away from your football career. Don't run away from your talent as a writer. Don't run away from the things that you've done. I've given that all to you. And if you trust me, you can use those gifts just like Moses. That staff, you used it for tending, tending sheep. But if you trust me, you can tend people. You can part the Red Seas. You can do some great things. Trust me. And that's kind of what I see is God saying, okay, Ken, you got these talents that I've given you. You've done these experiences in life. You've had this this career and these things that most people only talk about and dream about. If you trust me, it can you can change the world. You you can do some great things. You know, even if it's just reaching that one person, that one person may be the seed that that changes the world long after you're gone, if you trust me and, and and use the gifts that I've given you. Quit running away from it and use it. And I think that's what it, a lot of people is that, you know, we'll, 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 we'll not value what we have. We don't understand what we have. We run away from what we have. We, we try to do whatever. And so, you know, if you can kind of go back and grab it by the tail and say, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm, this is my destiny. It may not be exactly what you're going to do. You may think I'm supposed to be a world-class singer and your singing may be horrible, but you may be good at writing songs and you, you know, you detour a little bit and you become this great songwriter. Who knows? But the part of it is the journey getting there. And and I think that's what uh, people need to see is that, you know, it's not going to be perfect and you're going to fight battles and there's going to be some ups and downs and, and hopefully you have a good support cast around you to help you when you're down. Um, I know a lot of CEOs uh, deal with it because they think they have to take on the world by themselves. A lot of 
the high power people that you think got everything made, you know, are dealing with issues and some commit suicide. And and you wonder why, but the reality is they, they feel like they have the, this burden that they have to take on by themselves. And so that means we need people. We need someone to talk to. You know, I have, I have friends that we call and we just laugh. You know, it's 15 minutes of, of laughing off a, a joke that we've been telling for the last 30 years. But that 15 minutes of laughing is like a release valve. It's like, you know, now you can just let it go for a little bit. And and, and sometimes we need that. Um, so, you know, yeah. you don't have to be anything great. You just, you know, you just need sometimes be a friend. Because, you know, coming out of the NFL, and I would imagine, and I, you know, I've read articles about this, but I want to get your perspective on this. And because I think, um, you know, you were in an unusual uh, profession, obviously, in the NFL. Very, very few people do it. But uh, in a very different world, but <clears throat> very similar type of thing, you know, very few people become FBI agents. Um, I think back when I became an agent, I think less than 1% of the people that applied to become an agent became an agent. And so that, you know, so for the next 21 years, that's, that's your identity. You know, that, that's, it's, it's not just a job. It's, it's, you know, I'm not just Mike, I'm an FBI agent. And what I noticed over the years was that when people would leave the organization and retired, and I experienced this myself, and then I'm going to bring this back to you and see what, what you went through, because you touched on it a little bit earlier, is that's who you are. I mean, people look up to you, um, you get to do things that other people don't do. Um, you know, we, we have the power to take away someone's liber- civil liberties, if you think about it. It's a very powerful thing. And that's, so that becomes who you are, right? And then you mm-hmm. retire, and then you're not that. I'm just Mike again. But you've had 21 years of being this other thing that people look to and, they, you know, they just look at in a certain way. And I learned in recovery, one of the recovery lessons I learned was I knew, I, I anticipated that I, I knew that there was going to be a day where I turn in the badge and the gun, and I'm not that anymore. And I'll tell you what, the first realization was when I flew for the first time, because you know, FBI agents fly armed. So here you are, and you've retired from this. And I know that the first time I realized that I was retired is when I went to the airport and couldn't just go through the back channels to get into the airplane and had to go through T- the TSA screening and take my shoes off and my belt off. And all that. that was like, I knew then that I was retired. And, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I had anticipated that and I knew that that day was coming and I decided to make a complete shift in career and went back to school, got another degree, became, you know, a counselor and went that route. And, you know, I work in a hospital now in a, in a detox center and it's a world that is very, very unlike anything I ever did before, but it's given me this, sort of that new adventure, that new purpose, and it's still public service. I mean, this is, you know, I'm working with the community and people really, really hurting and struggling, struggling. so it fulfilled in me that need to, to help others. But the reason why I mention this is that a lot of my coworkers that retired with me, to this day, struggle. They, they struggle mm-hmm. with that loss of identity. You know, in the in the law enforcement world, you're part of that thin blue line until you're not part of that thin blue line. And the whole time you're in the career, you're part of that brotherhood where, you know, we protect one another, we take care of one another, and then you're retired and it's like, you know, who's Mike? Never heard of him. Um, is the NFL kind of the same way? Did you feel that way when you retired? Yeah. So so like, like I was saying, um, a lot of times it's it's – having a new vision beyond playing in NFL. And for me, my, my goal was just to 
get to college to show everybody I wasn't dumb. And I didn't plan anything beyond that. Everything else was gravy. And so once I stopped playing, I'm like, you know, what am I supposed to do? And there was this, for me, it was a sense of embarrassment that I stopped playing. I, had, I made up in my mind that I would never quit again. You know, when I dropped out of school, I was like, I would never quit again. And when I stopped playing, it felt like I quit. And I, and I was walking around in my own little tough world dealing with that part of, of me saying to myself, I quit. I gave up. And you feel all alone. And no one can understand it because they're like, oh, man, you just play. You still look like you can play, but no one can understand that, that type of feeling. And I think a lot of guys, once you stop, you've been doing this all your life. You've been doing this since you were a kid. You've been doing this, you know, every day, struggling, struggling, struggling. And then the realization comes, you can never do this again. I mean, you can watch a game. You can comment on a game, but you could never play that game, that, that game again in the capacity that you played before. So you're, you, you're like, what am I supposed to do? Um, I know I've talked to military veterans who are dealing with the same thing, four-star generals who are like, you know, they're used to telling people what to do and where to go and the cars pick them up and now they're having to do it themselves and they're lost. So it's when you've done things all your life and all of a sudden it stops, even people when they retire, there's no plan beyond that. Your, your, your self-identity is, is kind of, you struggle and a lot of, a lot of athletes struggle with that and then on top of that you know because you play football everybody's trying to get something from you it's it, you almost get closed in so some guys struggle some guys struggle more than others some guys are able to transition their skill sets from from football into something else so they've had a vision of doing something else beyond football so when football stopped they just used what they had to get to the next point but like you said um you know the realization of who you were doesn't define who you are, but it can define you if you let it and, and, and you'll end up struggling a lot. Yeah. I always tell people that, you know, I didn't come into this world as an FBI agent and I'm not going to leave this world as an FBI agent. And you didn't come into this world as a football player and that's not how you're going to leave. And hopefully that's not the only identity. You know, when I, when people are gathered around my grave in, in my funeral, hopefully that's not the only part of my life that they talk about. That's you know, ultimately yeah. I want to be known for something, you know, really in a different way, because it sounds like you're a very spiritual man and I'm the same way. I want to be known for something more than that. Is that how you feel? Well, someone, someone said, you know, the only thing that you can control, you know, you'll have a date when you're born and a date when you die. But what you do with that in between is up to you. And that in between could be a long period. You know, it could be 80 years. What are you going to do with that 80 years? You know, 10 years may have been football or 30 years may have been football. But then you still got another 50 years. What are you going to do with that time? What are you going to do with that dash in between? So it's, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's just there's there's so much more. And I, if, if my only thing in life that people said, oh, he was a great football player. And if that's all I got, then I, then I felt in, in my time being on earth because I'm supposed to be doing more. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from the speech that you gave, what I found very, very impressive is that you t you did talk about football. You did talk about it in the beginning and, and your struggle. But then you went on and you talked about a lot of the other things that you're doing on. And I could actually tell in the speech, you're almost more excited about some of the stuff that you do now. You write children's books. Um, you're a sports writer, but you, you're talking about some of the, the the books that you write, and then some of the the technology that you're involved in. And <laughs> you seemed almost more excited about that. Could you maybe share with us a little bit about what you're doing now? 
Well, so you know what? It, like, I, like I've been going through some struggles, and I, I, I forgot to dream again. I forgot to, the, 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 have visions for other things, and so I've been doing a lot of stuff, but not really like, ah, oh, this is what I need to do. And so now I'm, I'm back excited. I've, I've written books. I've written about eight children's books. Uh, I have two thriller suspense novels, and then I have a book about my life. And so I'm, ex- you know, I'm excited about the books that I've written. I've written some screenplays to some movies that I'm that I'm pitching, and one maybe, hopefully, will become a movie. Oh, um, I don't remember you talking about that, that in your speech. Yeah, no, like, yeah, hey, well, I have a good character for you too. You could base a yeah. character on me. How's that? Yeah, well, you know, hey. <laughs> no ego there, right? <laughs> right. You know, I've, I've 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 done that route, and it's it's uh, you know, let me get one done, then I can start working in people. <laughs> Uh, but I've, I've, I've done, I'm trying to create a, a, a sports game, a new sports game, kind of mm-hmm. not, not like pickleball, but the theory of pickleball where, you know, people said uh, they can't do tennis anymore, but they wanted to do something that was easier and they created pickleball. I want to create a game that people can play. Anybody can play. Um, and it seems like it's far out there, but, but that's the beauty of it is that you got, you have to dream big. The dreamers are the, are the ones that aren't confined by what everyone else says, sometimes you have to dream big. And so I'm doing that. I work for, I do a lot of work with nonprofits. I use football um, to work with this congressional football game. We got about 30 Congress members, both parties playing flag football against Capitol Hill police to raise money for the uh, Capitol Hill police fund. And then there's a, a nonprofit that I work for called, uh, um, called Touching Heart that. It's teaching kids about compassion and about giving. And so, uh, you know, a lot on the charitable side, a lot on the uh, adventure and dreaming side. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited because now I'm, I've set new goals and I'm doing it and I'm moving towards it. And it's kind of the history's repeating itself. And I think God will allow you to do things over and over again. It won't be the same way. It'll be in a different format and a different different version of it. But if if he's trying to let you do it over and over again until you get what he's trying to teach you. And I think he's been trying to teach me that, you know, playing professional football, all that was great and and and, and having that. But at, ultimately at the end, don't forget who got you there. The second thing with in the Moses thing. When Moses, when God told Moses uh, to throw the staff down, it became a snake, and he said, pick it up. And he said, put your hand in your vest. And he put his hand in his vest, and he took it out, and his hand became white leprous. And and then he said, put it back in. And to me, my mind is thinking, God was telling Moses, your hand controls the staff, but I control the hand that controls the staff. So understand where the power comes from. you know. And, and I think along the way, I lost that. But I had to get it back. But the beauty of it is it's never too late. You're never too old. You're never, you know, it's never too late. Even if you're 80 years old, 100, you know, 90 years old, you be you know, 10 days away from death. You still can make an impact. You still can do something. You still can change. You can say, you know, even in your life, you just say, you know what? I, I all the stuff that was gone in the past, that's in the past. I'm going to live my last 10 days victoriously. And that's the key. You know, what are you going to do? Your starting point is where you're at right now. And that's where you start. And and you look at that and say, regardless of the past, it doesn't define who I was. It was a part of who I was, but it doesn't define who I am. And you just turn and face forward and say, this is where I'm going to go. And that's what I'm that's what I get excited about. 
You know what? I have an idea. Just listening to you talk, um, I could see you as a pastor. <laughs> People have said that. <laughs> yeah. I, I listen to you talk. I'm like, I could see this guy in the ministry. <laughs> I could see you, that. You know, someone said that. And who knows? It, it, it may yeah. be that. You know, I, 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 I uh, as you can tell, I'm studying. I, I, I fight against it a little bit. And, uh, it, you know, it, it may it may be that. I think that uh, people are searching. And and some of them, you know, sometimes we don't even know what we're searching for. But the one yeah. thing I, I know I've read, regardless of what you believe in, whether it's God or a higher being or whatever, whatever you believe in, what I've read, and I could be wrong, you could correct me, is that, you know, a lot of people who go through recovery, if you don't have something that you believe in greater than yourselves, your chances of failing and, and going back through it over and over again are greater because when you believe in something greater than yourselves, than yourself, then you realize that you may not have the power to do it by yourself, but you need something greater than yourself to help you through. And if you can depend on that, then that usually helps you get beyond the curve. Uh, it's not saying that that's the end of all, but but for me, you know, and, and if you hear stories, that's what you call a testimony. This yeah. is how God pulled me through, uh, and that's that's been my story and that's been my belief. So whether you know whether or not I become a pastor, I think we can pastor in our own way. <laughs> and so you know maybe my speaking is is being a pastor. You know, we 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 can gather people. Some people water. Some people plant, some people fertilize, uh, and some people grow the fruit. But uh, use use the gift that you have. Yeah, no, and you're you're absolutely right. And even if you you do have to have a power greater than yourself in recovery, and now and it doesn't, and I don't mean that to believe, you know, because there's people who are going to say I don't believe in God, I'm not going to believe in God. That's not that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a power greater than yourself, and that power could be your purpose, it could be the group, it could be your recovery group, it could be you know anyone that you're working with. It can be other people that that are in recovery, just like yourself. That's what we're talking about—that greater purpose and always moving forward and finding out what the the yeah. next thing is. And you know, and it it's got to be sad because, like in your case, you know, eleven years. You know, like I, when you you said I I only played for eleven years. Actually, in the NFL, that's a I think that's a pretty long time. Actually, that, that is a long time. You know? it, it is a long time. The average and, and career, I think, is like two three years uh, for most people. <laughs> And that, and that's one of the things that I that I'm that I've I've worked on. It's still been a kind of hitch in my glitch, I guess, uh, my, a glitch in my hitch, uh, of of underplaying what God has given me. You know, eleven years is a long time. It was it was a long career that the average person, average people, I think it's like four or five years that they that 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 they play. And I was fortunate enough to do that. Not only do that. Have a good career, you know, to average eight sacks a game, to be one of the, you know, the top 100s history of uh, of players making getting sacks, and so you know, I've I've done a lot. Uh, I've had a chance to do a zero gravity flight, you know. Yeah. I've I've been talked, to, I've talked to astronauts and NASA, and yeah, you know, I've done things that most people would dream about. So, I've been blessed, uh, and and part of I think. Uh, our life is to recognize the good. Uh, I've read this one book and it said, you know, always uh, think of ants, like uh, ants in a picnic, you know. One ant may not bother you, but a bunch of ants will, will ruin the picnic. So if you think of ants, <laughs> it's, uh, it's attack negative thoughts, yeah. you know, A-N-T. And so you have to learn to attack those negative thoughts because they, they, they can start piling up 
and it ruins your life. But it's so easy to think of the negative as opposed to think of the positives. And I'm I'm yeah. trying to get better of thinking of the positives, even you know, waking up and 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 sitting down with just your, your wife, you know, once a week. And you start off by saying, you know, these are the positives. This is why, you know, this is the good things I see about you. Simple things like that can make a big difference. Yeah. And how long have you been married? 33 years. You know what? I, I thought I remembered that when you spoke, because it turns out that my wife and I have been married 33 years. Look, we're, we're, it's getting scary. Maybe we're, maybe we we're graduated. Twins, right? what, yeah, yeah, I graduated college the same year, and we've been married 33 years. And you, you met your wife in college, right? I did. I and did. I met my wife in college. Oh. Well, okay, how many kids do you have? I have two. We have two. Uh, no, uh, a boy and a girl? No, two boys. Oh, okay, I've got a boy and a girl. But, man, that's kind of crazy, the similarities that we have. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's look in the mirror, we're twins. <laughs> you know what? Um, you and I look alike, except you're a lot bigger than I am. And I'll tell you something else, too. You look like you could still play in the NFL. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, I, you know, I appreciate it. I, I hear that. Um, you know, half the reason I work out is because my wife looks so good. I'm just trying, <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with her. I no, just, you, I, I tell you, for those of you that have not met Ken Harvey, he looks like he could still play in the NFL. And I'll tell you something. Again, at 11 years, I saw, I've read somewhere once that a, a, an average hit in the NFL is like somebody like myself being involved in a car accident. And the thing that you were in that kind of a job where you were in car wreck after car wreck every day for 11 years, uh, and that's just your pro side. That's not even the, the college side. That's impressive. Because a guy like me, uh, Ken, if I took one hit in the NFL, uh, that would I'd be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Well, all I know is it's better to give than to receive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were in the position of doing the hitting, not receiving the hitting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're like, look, there are guys who go up to the NFL and, you know, the whole career, no injuries. I, I, I unfortunately had a couple of injuries, uh, tore my ACL, tore my rotator cuff in my shoulder, my labrum in my shoulder. Uh, I've had some injuries, some, you know, some you walk away from, some you have some limps uh, here and there. But it's like anything, you know, you count the cost. If you become a fireman, there's, there's a chance you may get burned. If you become a policeman, there's a chance that something may happen. You count mm -hmm. the cost. But for me, Football provided a, a, a way for my kids to get a great education, to be able to see things that they would have never seen, or at least, you know, in, in, in my world, they would have never seen and, and to do what they're doing now. So I, you know, I have no complaints that the me walking with the limp and all that stuff at, at times, you know, to, I hate it, but no complaints. You do I it again. That. You you walk with a limp? Every once in a while. My knee, my yeah, knee is a little off. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm figuring out now what I need to do, or at least I've been talking to people what I need to do more so, so we'll see what happens. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't walk with a It's just when it gets cold, my, yeah. <laughs> one knee is kind of weak. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. Well, listen, now, if anybody would like to check out what you're doing now in the in the great projects, how would they do that? Do you have social media, websites? Yeah, I'm, like I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my my website, if someone needs to reach me, it's krhcompany.com uh, if, if they needed to reach me. But I'm on social media, too. I'm on Instagram. I don't check Instagram as much. I, I will do uh, – I will check Facebook. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can reach me that way. Wow. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I mean, you just such a powerful story, but what a positive person you are. 
and an inspiration to to folks that are out there. You know what I'm I'm learning. Like the thing that's that's probably what keeps me humble <laughs> is that you know you you learn every day. It's like I've 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 learned that uh, the moments that I thought I was all that I've been put back in place <laughs> where uh, you know you realize you're not all that. You realize that everyone you know you could you could be worth ten million dollars, but someone has twenty twenty million dollars. You're not all that, and um, I'm just trying to get better. You know, I'm just trying to be a better person. And I have months and downs. I wish I could come across and say I was all that, but I'm not. And I, I realize that. But part of the realization is when you realize you're not all that, then that, that's the humble part. You say, you know what? I'm not all that, but I'm doing the best I can. And I'm trying to work on the things that I'm weak at. And that's where you get, you know, maybe the brownie points is you continue to try to get better. Well, I, I think you're all that. I think you, and I really like this work that you're doing right now. And okay. and really focusing on that, and particularly you know working with with children, that seemed to be a role. Um, you know, something that you were very really interested in, you talked about quite a bit, and and I know that the folks out at the Loudon Serenity House really appreciated it. It was a great talk, and it was a real pleasure getting to meet you. Uh, you got to meet my wife. You met my wife that day, and uh, my better half. And you're like, what the heck is she doing with him? So I, I married up in my life. Dead <laughs> for that's for sure. Well, well, thank as, you so much for coming we, on. We all have. You're quite yeah. welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, hunting me down. And, uh, you know, it's you're doing good things yourself. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. Well, th- thank you so much. And, and, guys, as I always like to say, you know, I don't represent any group. You know, although we, we talk about groups on this podcast, but we don't I don't represent any any group. But, um, you know, my only purpose in giving this information is to share the, the information to share with you is, is because the things that I've done might help you because it's helped me. And if I've said anything or Ken said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to use the information that we've given you uh, to help yourself and then take that information and give it to others to help them as well because that's what we do in recovery. You know, we share the knowledge that we've gained to help others. And so visit my Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and my website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. And I really appreciate you all joining us tonight on the Recovery as Possible show. And you guys go out there, do great things. Ken Harvey, thank you again for joining us tonight. And look forward to talking with you all soon.